Amen. What a sweet time of worship. <clears throat> Over the past, uh, really this this month, I've been thoughtful about a couple things. My, um, my this is my birthday month. Um, it's not just my physical birthday month, but it's my spiritual birthday month. And uh, so that causes me to think, how old am I in Christ? How mature am I in Christ? Am I strong in my faith? Am I strong in the Lord? Uh, it just causes me to reflect. And I've been studying uh, for a while now, First, the book of First Samuel, just trying to dig deep into it. And uh, I, I just recently finished the book. But I just felt like I wasn't done with it yet. I felt that there's more to mine out of it. And particularly this phrase that we're going to look at today, and that is to be strengthened in the Lord. It is an interesting kind of idea that you find just a couple places, but a couple significant places in the book of 1 Samuel is strengthened, this idea of being strengthened in the Lord. Uh, Jonathan, we're going to see, comes to David at one point, at a critical point in, uh, in David's life, and he strengthens his hand in God. And this idea of strengthening someone's hand in God, that word is used only in a few places. I mean, it's used widely throughout the Old Testament, but in 1 Samuel particularly, there's a couple places that I find very fascinating where he says uh, that they were strengthened. It's a word that can mean strong, to be strong or strengthened. It can be hold, hold fast onto something. It can be to harden, like God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It can be to repair or bolster um, almost to give strength to a structure. Um, it can be to prevail over, to overpower someone. Um, it can also mean if you're strengthening someone to encourage them. And it can also mean to act valiantly, to be strong in might. In Nehemiah, I found an interesting thing about being strengthened. In Nehemiah chapter two, it says that the people strengthened their hands for the work uh, that was before them. In Nehemiah chapter three, it uses the same word for them strengthening the walls. As they're rebuilding the walls at the time of Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem and they were strengthening, they were repairing the wall around, around Jerusalem. But also in chapter four, you find in chapter four that with one hand, they were strengthening the wall, but with the other hand, they were strengthening or strongly holding on to the weapons of their warfare, like swords and spears, that some of the guys who would carry, I guess, you know, stones and bricks and just carry supplies, they would have uh, uh, supplies in one hand and a weapon in the other. And so they had this, they, they, both hands were strong. Um, it's, a, it's a fascinating idea. Uh, God, when he commissioned Joshua, he says, be strong and very courageous over and over. He tells him to do this. But where we find it in 1 Samuel, and the first place I want to go in 1 Samuel is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is a familiar passage to us. It's David and Goliath. I'll read it, begin reading in verse 45. And I want to show you how David is strong, not in himself, but in the Lord. 
he, he cries out to Goliath, who's challenging the people of God and even the name of the Lord of hosts. And David shouts back this triumphant battle yell. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, and this is key, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And so the book of 1 Samuel records that David overcame or prevailed against Goliath, that strengthening. He, he was powerful and he overpowered Goliath, but not in his own strength, in the strength of the Lord. Now, this is key because we will have to return back to this idea. David will have to return back to this idea later in his life after some time possibly of straying. There's two texts that I particularly wanna dive deep into it's gonna be challenging in some ways because these are not explicit texts that tell you exactly what David was doing or Jonathan was doing. The first is in 1 Samuel 23, just a couple chapters over. It's, it's gonna be difficult. It doesn't tell us exactly what he means, but I want you to listen to what he says about being strengthened in the Lord. 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan and David, they had a, uh, a really kind of beautiful brotherhood. A, uh, they were comrades at arms. They were close. They had a close uh, covenant together. And the way that that friendship was formed is actually on the day that David slew Goliath. David comes back with Goliath's head in his hand. He's holding Goliath's head, having been victorious in battle in his strength of the Lord. And Jonathan forms this friendship with him. He says, it says their souls were knit together, that Jonathan loved David's soul as his own. They had this incredible bond together. And 1 Samuel records the rise and fall of King Saul along with the rise and fall of David himself. And we're gonna peek into a couple places where we see this phrase, my first point comes from this text in 1 Samuel 23. Strengthen one another's hands in the Lord. 1 Samuel 23, I'm gonna begin reading in 15 and see with me where this phrase comes out. David is fleeing from Saul and he, he sees that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. This is this, this next place where we see this idea of strengthening 
your hand in God. Jonathan comes to David intentionally, and he strengthens David's hands, not in himself, not in, uh, uh, Jonathan doesn't strengthen him, say, I'm gonna strengthen you. I'm gonna strengthen you in the Lord, though. It's interesting that Jonathan is able to find David. Saul has been seeking him with all his might, and his strength could not prevail, could not overcome David, because the battle is the Lord's. But Jonathan is able to seek him and find him. And when he finds him, he strengthens him in the Lord. Now, like I said, this, the text doesn't tell us exactly what that means. And so that has drawn me deeper into it. I just wanna encourage you, when you come across things that are challenging or mysterious or difficult in scripture, lean in to the word of God. Lean in, ask good questions of it, talk about it. I was recently talking about this idea of, how do you do that? How do you strengthen someone's hand in God um, with Brandon Hill? I was getting a haircut and I was like, this is what I've been studying recently and this is what I'm thinking about preaching on. And, and as we just discussed, what does that mean that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord? And what does it mean later when we see that David strengthens himself in the Lord? How do we do that? How do we learn from that? How do we, how do we accomplish that? How did David do that? And as we were talking about it, I think Brandon kind of challenged me. He's like, all right, that's definitely what you're preaching because I want to know the answer to that question. Because as we lean into scripture, man, we can mine out the truths of God's word and it's so encouraging to our hearts. So you will not find these four things I'm gonna give you under point one, four ways to strengthen one another in the Lord. You will not find them explicitly necessarily in the text, at least not all of them. But I want you to see that as David is living out his life, and we get a picture of that in 1 Samuel, this character study of David, we, all, we get a picture into the heart of David in the book of Psalms. And it's from there that we can discover more about how do you do this? How did David do this? How did Jonathan do this? Well, this, this first point, strengthen one another's hands in the Lord. There's four ways I wanna give us to do that. And first off is covenant. Covenant together. This for Jonathan and David is the last in line of three covenants they make with one another. They're, they had friendship, but they had friendship with accountability. These covenants they made with one another included blessings and cursings if they would not fulfill it, and uh, it included uh, making this covenant before the Lord. So this is a vow, an oath they're making before God to hold each other accountable before God as God is witness um, to their friendship and to their devotion to one another to strengthen each other in the Lord. Covenant together. Now, how do we, how do, we do that? Well, think about this. David is stronger than Jonathan. He is prettier than Jonathan, it says, that he's just, he's ruddy in appearance. He's really, he's pretty. He was, he was an attractive guy. He's wiser probably than Jonathan. He is probably more godly than Jonathan. But Jonathan comes to him and strengthens his hand in God. That points out to me that there is none of us that are too high and mighty to need strengthening. We desperately need one another. We need each other. 
to uphold us, to strengthen us, to point us to Jesus Christ. And the best place for this to happen is in the church. This is God's ordained institution for how the covenant people of God are building one another up. And God is building us up and bringing us together in this unity of peace. Building itself up, Ephesians says, in love. This is the most powerful, the most effective way, the most effective means that God is building his church, that is building his people. There is grace, there is power, and there is the presence of God when we are gathered and when this book is opened. Even now, as you're in your homes, we're still gathering. We're gathering, and the grace of God and the power of God and the presence of God are here when this book is open and this word is proclaimed and we have ears to hear and hearts to obey. God's presence is with us, strengthening us, and we are strengthening one another. So enter into a covenant with other believers for accountability, for friendship, for strengthening, for encouragement. Secondly, congregate, come together. This may sound really ironic right now because we're not congregating. We are scattered. But it, this it nevertheless is so true. Let me explain a little bit about how we might do this. In Scripture, there are 59 Scripture references, Scripture passages that tell us how we are to strengthen one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to welcome one another, to greet one another, to admonish one another. You cannot do that. That's 59 commands of Scripture. You cannot obey if you are not gathering with God's people. So we must congregate. We must gather. You're probably knocking on the screen. Hello, we're not together. We're not gathering right now. But are we not? Just this week, I had two staff meetings, one elder meeting, community group, a one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship. I had an intern internship meeting, um, and let's see what else. Premarital counseling and two hospital visits, all virtually. I mean, hospital visits, right? I mean, but it was all virtual. I mean, all through video conferencing. And you know what we did during that time? We read scripture, we prayed, we encouraged one another, we challenged one another. We strengthened each other's hands in the Lord. This is, this is not keeping us from gathering. And so I just want to encourage you, man, take advantage of every opportunity that, that God has given us in our day and age to gather. Ultimately, what is this? What does it mean to strengthen one, another, one another's hands in the Lord? It means to encourage. And even think about that word, to encourage. It's kind of like injecting courage into someone else. So maybe you see that they're down or they're, in, they're distraught or they're uh, um, uh, discouraged. Well, you encourage them. You inject courage in them. You inject strength and power, not in themselves, not in you, but you point them to Jesus Christ. You might say, that's the answer. That's like all this talk about being strengthened in the Lord and all you're talking about is just encouraging one another. We came all this way for that. 
well, you're probably in your PJs, so you didn't come that far. But still, it's true. I mean, the idea is true that this, what does it mean to strengthen one another in the Lord? It means encouragement. It means to encourage one another. And so that's my third point. How did Jonathan do that? Well, we're not given exact, explicit uh, uh, directions on how to do that in this text. But I want to challenge us that that's exactly what he was doing is he's encouraging David. Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. as they encourage one another, strengthen one another, it's not for the purpose of being strong in themselves. Jonathan is not coming to David and giving him the latest self-help book. He's not coming to David to strengthen him, to strengthen David in David. He's coming to David to strengthen him in the Lord, to point him to Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This requires wisdom. To encourage people, it requires a great amount of wisdom. It is difficult. It's challenging. It requires intentionality. I mean, how much wisdom is needed to say a word, what Proverbs calls a word fitly spoken? Proverbs says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. When you have just the right word at just the right moment, how do you do that? It requires wisdom. It requires intentionality. And we're gonna see it requires preparation as well. But I will also say, some of the times I've been encouraged, maybe they weren't that intentional. Like Jonathan, he traveled 30 miles to come to Horesh to encourage David. Maybe it was just a passing moment and the spirit used it in a mighty way when I was in college and I had one of my first opportunities to preach away from my home church. I had, to, had, a, had a chance to go to this church near uh, Cookville, Tennessee, where I went to college, my alma mater. And, um, and uh, I, had, I, had a, I had a struggle with it. I mean, it was very, very difficult because um, I had all these delusions of grandeur that I'm going to stand up there and preach and everybody's going to hit their knees and, and cry out, what must I do to be saved? And there's going to be a grand revival that breaks out. And I had ultimate confidence. Maybe it was a little misplaced, but I had ultimate confidence. And I went and I preached my heart out to this congregation. And man, they were just deadpan. Just it was worse than right now. <laughs> right now, this church is empty and it's hard to preach to an empty church, but it's worse to preach to people who are not, who don't care and who aren't growing in their faith and loving the Lord. And when I got home from that, I was incredible. I mean, the whole ride home, I'm just weeping and I'm praying, God, why? Why did you even send me? Did that make any difference? And my friend Wade uh, we uh, lived in the same, uh, we were housemates and, and he heard me walk in and heard me because my apartment was above his. And so he comes up there and, and he, he just encouraged me. He strengthened me in the Lord. And he said, I mean, I will never forget what he said. Um, he said, your measure of success is not in their response, in people's response, but in were you faithful? 
And man, that was so encouraging to me. But, and God's word doesn't return void. There is purpose there. But I asked him later, I said, man, this is probably months, maybe a couple of years later. I said, man, do you even remember that? Do you, you remember coming up after I had preached that sermon and, and you like encouraged me in the Lord? And he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so sometimes it's not necessarily that you are being super spiritual and always looking for that opportunity, uh, though I think we should try to always be looking for opportunities to encourage, um, but just the ministry of your presence with people in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, can minister. He, he probably did say those things, and the Holy Spirit used it, but to him it wasn't a big deal, but to me it was everything. Remember that. Encouragement is a ministry of presence. Encouragement's also a ministry of the word. Just this morning, uh, Pastor Chase texted me right as I was at this this point and kind of praying through this um, this message and said, may Christ use you to feed his people. And I thought, that's it. That is it. That is strengthening someone in the Lord. Praise God for that. If you, there's one text in the New Testament I would like to look at to, to, to learn a little bit more about how this works. In Hebrews chapter three, if you would turn there with me, Hebrews chapter three. We actually have two passages in Hebrews that give us this idea of how to strengthen someone in the Lord. The, the first bookend, you might say, is Hebrews 3, and then the last one, the, the end of that, this whole section is Hebrews 10. We're going to take a look quickly at both, at both passages. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The context of this passage, and pay close attention here, the context of this passage, in fact, all of Hebrews 3 through Hebrews 10 the context is there are people who are falling away from the faith. And Hebrews 3, Hebrews 6, and Hebrews 10, it deals with these issues. And these are the bookends. And I wanna just encourage you that look at what his, the author to the Hebrews, what is his answer to people falling away from the faith? What is the answer when people have an evil, unbelieving heart? How do I protect myself? How do I protect others? in the midst of apostasy. Look at verse 13. Exhort one another every day. That is his answer. Now you might say, don't we believe firmly in the perseverance of the saints that all believers will persevere to the end? Absolutely. And it is God who causes us to persevere. We believe that firmly, but God uses means, and primarily he uses the means of his church to cause you, Ezekiel 36, to walk in his statutes. He uses the church. He uses you in the lives of other people, 
in the church, to encourage you, to challenge you, to strengthen you on this journey, that you might live faithfully, that you wouldn't be deceived and have a hardened heart, that you wouldn't have an evil, unrepentant heart, unbelieving heart that leads you away from God but he uses people to encourage and to strengthen us in the midst of of people falling away. What is it that holds us fast? It is God through his people, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. I had an opportunity uh, as I was a a youth and young adult pastor to previous uh, ministry, I had an opportunity to take students on a... Uh, a camping trip and we did some team building exercises and kind of took the spiritual application from that and applied it. And one of the activities we did, there was a huge seesaw and you could get tons of kids on there. And I had everybody get on this seesaw and they all stood in the middle and balanced it. And then the goal is, okay, now you have to, everyone has to move to the outside, but you have to keep it balanced. Neither end can hit the ground or you had to start over. So I say, go, and they kind of stand around looking at each other. Like, how do we do this? And they were getting frustrated. They would try a couple things and fail, and it, it was becoming very frustrating for them. And one of the students, who I would say is kind of a leader of, of that group, he, uh, he like jumped down. He's like, I'm done. Just kind of throws his hands in the air, and he, he comes and sits down next to me. And so I said, do you want a hint? He's like, Yeah. And I said, you need, they need a leader. They need someone to lead them. So he's like, all right, I got this. So he goes back up there and he's like leading them. Okay, now you move here and you move a couple inches and you move. And okay, you're, you know, like about the same weight or whatever and got awkward. But anyway, so he's like moving people to the ends and it's working pretty well. They're doing really great. And I was really encouraged. And then uh, somebody made a wrong step or something. Then the seesaw, you know, tilted to one side and, and hit the ground. And there he goes again. He throws his hands up in the air and he like storms off. One of the other kids, bigger, like a pretty beefy guy, runs after him, grabs him, throws him over his shoulder and carries him back and puts him back on there. And he's like, you're not going anywhere. And I thought, man, that right there is a beautiful picture of how we encourage one another and challenge one another, exhort one another in the church. Man, I love you too much to let you walk away. My dad used to have a bumper sticker on his truck that said, friends don't let friends drive Fords. I think of it as as similar in the church. In the church, our friendships, we don't allow each other to drift away from God, to stray away from God, but rather we strengthen one another. I love you too much to let you go down that road because I know where that road leads. It's away from the living God. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to get you. I'm gonna strengthen your hand in the Lord and bring you back. That is what exhortation, that is what encouragement is. It's walking beside someone. And when they start straying, you grab them and you pull them back. That is what we need in each one of our lives. We desperately need that. He says in chapter 10, of Hebrews, if you'll, if you'll turn there, he says, what's one of the ways that we do this? We do it by meeting together, by 
by congregating. And I've found that that's the first, that's kind of the first step away from the living God. That's the canary in the mine. If you see someone start withdrawing from the church, that's the canary in the mine, in the mine. That is what, that's the, the sign and the symbol of they're walking down a path they shouldn't be when they start withdrawing from the local church. That is your call to action. As believers in Christ, that's when you push in. That's when you press in and you go and you get them and you bring them back. Let's look at Hebrews 10. How does he do this? Beginning of verse 22 is where we're gonna be. Verse 22, this is the other bookend. He says, let us draw near not walk away from the living God, but draw near, not with an evil, unbelieving heart, but look, what does he say? With a true heart in full assurance of faith, not unbelieving, in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, Because we're so strong, because we're so good, because we're so awesome? No, because he who promised is faithful. God is the one who holds us fast. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do not neglect to meet together. Consider how to stir one another up. He says, today, as long as it is called today, encourage one another. Encourage one another every day as long as it is called today. That's an interesting kind of play on words. It's always today, isn't it? So when should you encourage one another? Today. Like, be always doing that. But that's not the extent of what he means in this passage. He's actually following up from what he had just said. Today in, in Psalm 95, talking about the people of Israel hardening their hearts against the Lord, walking away from the Lord. He says, today, don't be like them. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. And so that's the today he's talking about. When should you encourage one another? Today, right now, while you're hearing this encouragement, make the choice to not harden your heart against God but to soften your heart toward the Lord and to be strengthened in the Lord, to follow closely. And he says, today, encourage each other today as long as it is called today. And all the more, he says, as the, that day, that great day, the day of the Lord draws near. You know, in Acts 2, we get a picture of this. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the people uh, in the churches, they met in each other's homes day by day and in the temple day by day, and the Lord increased their numbers. So if we take that daily encouragement, and then what the author to Hebrews says here, all the more, encourage each other daily, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How much more should we encourage each other? Not just every day, every minute, every moment, every opportunity we get, we ought to be encouraging one another. Take, like, think about this. In this current crisis, we can still obey this passage. God has equipped us with incredible means to be able to obey this passage. Every single one of us has a device that we're watching on right now 
and has other devices that we carry around with us every single day that has the opportunity to encourage each other. Through texting, email, social media, all these different means, video conferencing, FaceTime, whatever it is, we have the opportunity. God has equipped us to be able to encourage each other every single day and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so this fourth way that we strengthen one another's hands in God comes from verse 24 in this passage. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And that, that fourth way is consider. Consider how to stir one another up. Consider how to stir one another up. This kind of, he doesn't just say stir one another up. He says, consider how to stir one another up. This kind of adds an element of creativity. We have the opportunity to really be creative here, to use technology, to use other means. By all means, write each other letters, encourage each other, make phone calls, text, email, all of these things. Consider, be creative, be crafty in the way that you're reaching out to one another at this time. Stir up one another. Consider how to stir up one another. That's an interesting term. Typically, it's used in a negative sense. It's to stir up someone to anger or to wrath, like stirring up a, a hive of bees or something like that. But here he says, and the actual word is provoke. And here he says not to provoke someone to anger, right? Like Paul tells us, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Well, here he says, consider ways that you might provoke one another not to anger, not to wrath, but to love and to good works. Provoke one another. Part of that encouragement is provoking each other. What is it that is going to be the prod that gets you moving, that gets you going, that gets you strengthening your hand in the Lord? Be watchful, be sober-minded. Satan is crafty. He is prowling around seeking whom he may devour. I'm afraid it seems like he has a foot up on us in this, these circumstances. I don't believe that. I believe that God's given us the ability to be crafty, to scheme, and to be thoughtful and to consider ways that we can stir one another up. Strengthen each other's hands in the Lord. Secondly, in 1 Samuel, there's a beautiful picture in chapter 30. If you will look there with me, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is where we find this, this kind of uh, third occurrence of this term strengthen. Point one is Jonathan comes to David. He strengthens in chapter 23. He strengthens David's hands in the Lord. Now, in chapter 30, we're going to see David strengthen himself in the Lord. A little bit of context here. You kind of have a Robin Hood situation with David. He's running away from Saul. He's been kicked out of the, 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 um, the land. He's fleeing. He is, it's actually, he's made an alliance with the Philistines, and uh, he's hiding out in the city of Ziklag. And that's where we find him uh, here. Now, he had uh, made this alliance with the king of the Philistines, King Achish, and um, he actually was going to, to be 
asked to fight against the nation of Israel with the Philistines. And thankfully, the generals of the Philistine army uh, rejected David and said, no, you cannot come fight with us because you're going to turncoat and stab us in the back. And so they, they send them back to, the, the king sends them back to Ziklag. And when he comes back, I'm sure he was probably relieved, like, oh man, I'm glad we didn't have to fight our own people. That would have been awkward. That would have been terrible. And when he gets back to Ziklag, he, uh, they're, they're relieved, but they show up. And as they uh, see the city, it is burning. Chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negib and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both great and small. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. We find them here in distress, these, these men who had come around with their families, who had come around David to support him. They're hiding in the wilderness. Like I said, it's kind of like a Robin Hood situation. These are like outcasts and those who were bitter in soul is what it says. They found David and they joined up with David and they're hiding in the wilderness. It's exactly like Robin Hood. And now their village has been attacked. Their town has been destroyed. Their families have been carried into captivity. You couldn't get more distress, more despair than this moment. It says that they wept till they had no more strength. They were bitter in soul. And their response and David's response are very telling. His, his men's response as they are weeping and in distress is to stone David. You're the one who's brought us out here. We're gonna destroy you because somebody has to pay for this. They wanted vengeance. They wanted someone to have to pay for it. They're bitter in soul. But David's response He's just, as, he's just as distressed. And I'm sure those feelings of bitterness were rising up in his own heart. But how does he respond? It says he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. What does that mean? How do you strengthen yourself? That sounds like self-help. It sounds like we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's not the idea. We strengthen ourselves, yes, but we strengthen ourselves not in our own strength, in our own understanding, 
but we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I imagine that David, in this moment, remembers. He remembers the strength that he felt flowing through him as he took that smooth stone and he put it in a sling and slew Goliath. And there's a, a moment that reminds me of uh, a moment in Lord of the Rings where he tells him, he tells the king, Gandalf tells the king, maybe your fingers would remember their old strength if they held your sword. And it's, it's interesting to note that as David probably reached for his sword in this moment, what sword it is. It's actually the sword of Goliath that he was wearing. And probably, this is speculation, probably on the belt that Jonathan gave him when they first made their covenant together. And those things caused him to remember, caused him to remember his former strength, not in himself, but in the Lord. So he strengthens himself in God. He remembers that the battle is the Lord's. He remembers how he prevailed, how he overcame, overpowered Goliath in the strength of the Lord. And he strengthens himself again. Like I said, this is somewhat speculation and we don't exactly know how he does this because the book of 1 Samuel, the point of the book of 1 Samuel is not to tell us how he does that. But we do get in the book of Psalms a window into the heart of David. And that is awesome because a window into the heart of David is a window into the heart of a man who's after God's heart. And so we see in David, how is it that he strengthens himself in the Psalms? How is it that he's doing this? I want to, I want to point out two things from the Psalms of how David does this. This is a broad kind of overview of what we see in the Psalms. And I think it provides for us some answers to how we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. First, we see in the Psalms that David is a man after God's own heart. And so he pursued God's heart. So if you want to strengthen yourself in the Lord, which who doesn't want to do that? If you're a believer, this is your desire. This is your desire. I want to know how to do that. I want to know how to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How do I strengthen myself? Well, firstly, pursue God's heart. Pursue God's heart through his word. Listen to a couple of the Psalms. As the, as the, you don't have to turn there, but just listen as I read a couple of the Psalms. Listen to the way that David pursued God's heart. He loved the word of God because he loved God. He loved hearing from God. And so he loved God's word. These are selections from Psalm 119, if you want to look these up later. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. And I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. He loves the word of God because he loves God. He says, how sweet 
are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So David didn't wait until that moment to act. He didn't wait until he was in despair. He didn't wait until he was struck down to begin act, to begin strengthening himself. He had been preparing for this moment by being a man who was after God's heart. He pursued the heart of God through the word of God. So for us, being a man after God's own heart, it begins right now. The text in the New Testament that, that, that mirrors this idea of being strong in the Lord is Ephesians 6, the armor of God. You may be familiar with it. He tells us to put on, to strap on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with, the, with gospel readiness, taking up the shield of faith, take, putting on the helmet of salvation, and taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? You don't wait until the moment to act. You strengthen yourself in the Lord right now. You strengthen yourself in the Lord daily, taking up the armor of God and putting it on daily. That is how you are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might when that time comes that you need to be able to strengthen yourself. David pursued God's heart through God's word. He also pursued God's heart through repentance. This is abundantly clear in the Psalms. You might think David is a man after God's own heart. He was a scoundrel. He was a murdering adulterer. How can you say he's a man after God's own heart? But as you look at the Psalms, yeah, he was a sinner. But he was a sinner after God's own heart and he pursued God's heart through repentance. There's a couple Psalms that give us a picture into this. Many Psalms of repentance, but two particularly that have been an incredible encouragement to me. One is Psalm 32. David says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. This is a psalm of repentance. Verse five in this psalm says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. Yes, he was a sinner. He was a sinner after God's own heart and he pursued God's heart through repentance. The other psalm is Psalm 51. Use these, run to these. Be strengthened in the Lord through pursuing God's heart in repentance using these psalms, using the same exact means that David used. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. He goes on, and you can see in his heart that he is a man after God's own heart. Let me encourage you, believer, to pursue God's heart through repentance daily, daily. But let me encourage you as well, if you don't know Christ, you can't 
accomplish this. You can't hope to accomplish anything like strengthening your own self in the Lord or strengthening others in God if you don't know God. And the way that you come to know him is exactly how David came to know him. It's through repentance and through faith. So maybe for you, it's praying this prayer for the first time. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Come to the Lord and be strengthened in him. The second means by which, and this is the last point for us this morning, the second means by which we pursue God's heart or by which we are strengthened in the Lord. First is to pursue God's heart. Secondly is to preach to your own, preach to your own heart. You need to be a Christian who is after the heart of God. And you need to be a Christian who is preaching regularly to your own heart. If you think that when David strengthened himself in the Lord, it means that he looked deep within himself and deep down somewhere he found grace and strength and courage and power, you are gravely mistaken. If you think that you being can strengthen yourself by looking deep into your own heart and finding grace and strength and comfort and power you're self-deceived. You will not find it there. Your heart is broken. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He didn't find strength in his own heart. He found strength by being a man after God's heart. And so we will. Some years back, I uh, serving in college ministry and had the opportunity to have some folks over for uh, a cookout. And I thought it would be fun. We grew up always making ice cream at home, the ice cream freezer. And, and it, was, it was always a good time. I remember my buddy and I, we would switch out cranking the ice cream freezer because one of us would crank and yeah, our arm would get tired. But what the other one had to do is sit on the ice cream freezer to keep it from moving because it was, wasn't heavy enough. And so in order to really get a good crank, you had to have someone sitting on it and the other one cranking. Well, before our arms would get tired, our butts would get too cold. And so we'd have to switch. And so we would often switch uh, who was cranking and who was sitting on this ice cream freezer. Well, I thought it would be fun to get an ice cream freezer and to have some uh, students over for this cookout and I was gonna make ice cream. And, and so I get it all set up now. And nowadays, I didn't have to crank it. I just flipped it, you know, plugged it in and flipped it on and it, you know, did its thing. But I, I, I went back after maybe 15 minutes. It's still mostly liquid. After 30 minutes, after an hour, I'm like, gosh, how much salt and ice can I put in this thing to get this thing frozen? And I mean, I let it go for two hours and it was still liquid. Like, what is going on? So I looked up in the, destru in the destruction, in the instructions, I looked up the troubleshooting and it said that if you're making vanilla ice cream and you're using vanilla extract, that it often has alcohol in it, which it does. It's like 40% alcohol. So if you dump that stuff in there, it keeps it, it lowers the freezing temperature, makes it harder to freeze. 
And so it, I mean, it would just cranking away and cranking away. And I thought, man, what are we going to do? So we just had milkshakes and moved on, but it, it was good. But, um, you know, that, that brings up this idea of your own heart. It is hardened naturally to the Lord. What is it that you do to keep your heart from hardening? Your heart will naturally harden. If you don't do anything, if you just kind of take your hands off the wheel, your heart will naturally harden toward God. So how do we keep our hearts from hardening? Inject the gospel into your life every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Preach to your own heart. It it may sound discouraging to you that your heart is desperately wicked, that your heart is deceitful above all things, but let me encourage you with real hope. One who is greater than David has come. And Ezekiel says that he has taken our stone heart out and given us a heart of flesh. That's Ezekiel 36, 26. When Jesus came, he, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. And if we believe in him, that was John 14. If you believe in him, John 7, he will cause rivers of water to flow out of your heart. Romans 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that the Holy Spirit seals our hearts as a guarantee. In Hebrews 10, the passage we just read, says that our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience with the blood of Jesus Christ. And 1 John chapter 3 says when when, when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Now, this is one of the joys of being able to live stream. Now you can back up and look at each one of those passages individually. So I would encourage you to do that. James says, purify your hearts. He says, establish your hearts. I would just encourage us not to listen to your heart, but rather to preach to your heart. Psalm 43, we find a perfect example of how to do this. This passage actually occurs in Psalm 42 and 43. The psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That is how you preach to your own heart. That is how you instruct your heart on what to do. Do not be a victim of your heart's emotions, anger, wrath, bitterness, fear, anxiety, frustration, difficulty, vengeance, whatever rises up in your heart, God is greater than your heart. Preach to your heart. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Hope in God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you Lord, that you are a God who has given us incredible means to be able to strengthen 
one another's hands in the Lord, to be able to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. God, I pray that you would help us as a, as a church to be obedient, Lord, to these, these truths, that we would be united and that we would gather together in any way that we can, that we would be people after your own heart, that we would be people who preach to our heart. Encourage us, strengthen us, O Lord. And as we sing this next song, may we strengthen one another. We pray it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.